Once I stood in the night with my head bowed low in the darkness as black as could be, and my heart felt alone, and I cried, I was fine, but 
One day he touched a crippled man and made him walk again. Then the master saw with pleasure he had labored not in vain. Like the story of that crippled man, I once was bound by sin, but since the master came, oh, praise his name, thank God I now can say, somebody touch me. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 today. So glad you could be a part of the service today. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. A familiar passage, one that possibly, probably you have heard before, if not a number of times. But we're going to use it as a springboard and move on here today just a little bit. But I just want to share a thought with you. I want to I don't know, kind of talk with you a little bit today and we'll see where it goes. But it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. I don't know about you, but that's a very sobering thought. A very sobering verse. Even as God has... Uh, God. Uh, has man appointed with death. There's an appointment with death. Even as man has that appointment with death, he also has an appointment with God at the judgment. So he's appointed to die, yes, but he's also appointed to be judged. It all sounds so final, doesn't it? And do you know what? It really is final. Years ago, I was introduced to a game called Life. Maybe you've heard of it. Milton Bradley had created the game in 1860, and a modern version was released 100 years later in 1960. The game simulates a person's travels through life. It talks about how he or she will ultimately go to college, uh, to retirement, with jobs and marriage and possible children along the way. I played it as a child, and I continued to play it with my children, and I haven't played it quite recently, but we still have the game and we could still play to this day. If you lose the game, you know what happens? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. You just start over and you play again. 
There may be a game called life, uh, uh, but, but life is not a game. If life were a game, you could push a reset button. But it's not. You know, I love to play pinball. Now, years ago, it was, it's not quite like it is today, but everywhere you went, they had pinball machines. We didn't have all of this electronics. We didn't have all of the machines and, and all the gaming systems. And so pinball was huge. And there you'd have this thing in front of you that sat on four legs and it had a scoreboard in the back. And there was a playing field, if you will, right in front of you. And you had a couple of uh, flippers that you had control of with your fingers. And the ball, you would shoot the ball out with a kind of a spring-loaded handle and it would send the ball up and it would bounce back and forth and, and, and tumble here and there and you would try to keep the ball in play by hitting those flippers and knocking the ball forward and boy I liked playing pinball I enjoyed playing pinball and every once in a while you know if you really wanted to get some good action on the ball you'd kind of kind of put your hip into it <laughs> kind of jar the machine just a little bit but if you jarred it a little too hard Well, that was a problem, too. The machine would just simply shut down. The ball would just roll down into the machine. You'd lose your ball, and you'd have to hit a button that would restart the game. You'd push the button, and a ball would pop up again. You'd shoot it back up there and start playing. It was kind of a reset switch. You know, if... Life or a game, you could simply push a reset button. But it's not. Playing checkers. Man, I'll tell you what, that's a lot of fun, isn't it? At least, well, some of you don't find it fun because you're losers. (laughs) But for us winners, it's awesome. (laughs) No, trust me, it is. It's frustrating as all get out, isn't it? But nonetheless, it's still a good game and it's a lot of fun. But it is stressful at times. Very stressful. You know, I hated losing and I took it pretty personal. I really did. I I mean, bragging rights were at stake every time we played. And everyone knows that checkers is a metaphor for life. I mean, you know, let's be honest. You know, it wasn't just about being a winner. But it wasn't just about winning the game, but being a winner. I don't know about you, I grew up with, with three brothers, you know, and a dad and a mom. And man, I'll tell you what, every time we played checkers, it was cutthroat. <laughs> and boy, bragging li- rights were on the line every single time. So from time to time, if, in the heat of the battle, if it seemed I was going to lose, I would accidentally bump the game, causing the pieces to go everywhere. Okay, so maybe it wasn't quite accidental. Maybe I started to kind of slide the table slowly toward the edge of the table. I, the, the, game, the game table over against the edge of the table. So just the little corner would stick out. And then I'd go, oh, man. Oh. Oh, I. Wow, I didn't, you know. You know, my brother never bought that. He always somehow thought that I was manipulating the game, somehow lying to him when I said, oh, I accidentally. He knew. By the way, I'd say things like, well, the pieces are everywhere. There's no way we can remember where they all were. We might as well start over. My brother Ed, he, I don't know if he has a photographic mind, but he's extremely intelligent. He's got a PhD in engineering and all of these different things. And, 
And uh, he'd say, no, I remember where every piece was. And he did, too. I mean, this is the brother that says he remembers coming out of his mother's womb. And I'm not exaggerating. If he can remember that, I promise you, he remembers a few things about checkers. (laughs) You know, if life were a game, you'd get a second chance. But it's not. I viewed Monopoly like it was a microcosm of life. It was my favorite game growing up. And that sounds ridiculous to many of you probably, but it was. I mean, let's face it, if you were good at Monopoly, you were good with money, and that meant you was going to be successful in life. Right? That's how I saw it. It didn't help me that my dad took it more serious than all the rest of us put together. We'd have such fierce battles at this game. I mean, it would go on into the night. And I can still see my mother standing over in the corner going, please stop. Would you just quit playing, please? You say, why was she doing that? Well, because I was over there throwing a tantrum. My brother was throwing pieces and my dad was crying. You would say that it was... A little out of hand. Now maybe that's slightly exaggerated, but I promise you not too awfully much. Park Place, Broadway. Those were my boys. I went after them every game. Boy, once I got them, I was putting hotels on them too. I'd try to wheel and deal till I had those babies in my pocket, so to speak. I'd put those hotels on them and Man, I would just charge people and I'd grin from ear to ear. I hated losing. Fortunately, I'd get a number of opportunities to win, too. Because, see, when you lost, you got another chance. See, if life were a game, you'd get another chance. But it's not. It's not a game. It's not a game. There's no reset. There's no do-over. There's no second chances. You only get one shot at life. And Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. We have to remember that you and I have an appointment to keep. And that appointment is with death. And that appointment is with God. You know your name is on God's calendar or planner already. And you and I, none of us are going to escape that appointment. It's not going to happen. And you and I only get one shot at this thing called life. One shot, that's it. Once we close our eyes in death, the chances are over. Opportunity ended. There's no redo. There's no mulligan. I don't know about you, but boy, I'll tell you what, learning to golf is not an easy task. And even after you've learned, it's not that often that you play that well unless you're really, really good. 
they got what they call a mulligan. And sometimes if you go out with the right guys, you always kind of talk about and say, well, how many mulligans are we going to get? Because if you're in my category of player, you need it. What a mulligan is is simply a do-over. I get on the driving tee and I hit my shot and it takes a wicked turn. I lose it in the woods or in the water. And I go, I'll just take a mulligan, a do-over. He said, that's not very fun. Yeah, well, you can't play anyway. So every once in a while, somebody will talk about a mulligan in golf, and what they're talking about is a do-over. You don't get do-overs in life. It's appointed unto men once to die. You get one chance. You get one shot. And so there are a couple of things that I want to consider this morning in light of that truth. Kind of goes along with it and in light of it. So let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll talk just a few minutes about it and then we'll move on. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. We ask, Lord, that you just meet our needs today. You'd encourage us and help us, Lord. We thank you for the word of God and thank you, Father, that you touched us. Lord, if there's somebody in the crowd that has never been touched by you, the master, in a very personal, intimate way, Lord, may they, Father, experience that personal touch today. May they place their personal faith and trust in you and allow you to move into their life, be their Savior and Lord. For the believer today, may we never doubt, may we never question that this is it. One shot. Better make it a good one. Help us, Lord, to realize that today. We love you. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. So number one, each of us has only one life. Each of us has only one life. Now, we note a picture in the Bible, a picture of life. Actually, there's a number of pictures. Look if you would in James chapter 4, verse 14, would you please? We're going to do just a slight Bible study, and we're going to see how God pictures life. How he describes it. Notice in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 14, a very familiar passage if you've attended many funerals, uh, at least uh, my funerals, the ones that I do. This is a verse that's often used. Many times I'll take this verse and I'll actually illustrate it or demonstrate it. In James four fourteen, the Bible says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? Here it comes now. It is even a vapor. And he goes on to describe that vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Now, in a funeral setting, many times I'll take a match and I'll light the match, I'll blow the match out, and you'll see the smokes float up into the air and eventually disappear. So that's what our life is. But probably even a little bit better illustration of that would be when you walk out the door, say in winter, and you kind of breathe and you breathe out and you see that mist and it just disappears. Your life is like that. It's like a vapor. It appears for a little time, then vanishes the way. My life is like a vapor. God says it's like a vapor. And if it's like a vapor, then what the Bible's teaching us and what God's trying to impress upon us is the brevity of life, how quickly it will flee. Life is pictured as a vapor. Number two, take your Bible, look at Psalm chapter 90, verse 9. 
Psalm chapter 90, verse 9. It doesn't matter whether you are a believer or not. It doesn't matter whether you grow up on this side of the equator or another side of the equator. It doesn't matter whether you were born in another country or this country. Your life is a vapor. And according to Psalm chapter 90, verse 9, notice this. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Now, I understand, we, in those days, many times, they did not have the printing press. They didn't have the opportunity to, 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 to copy like we do. They would manually copy. And one could say, well, of course, it's a tale. We pass that tale on. I share a story about my life, or I share a story to, to, to this young man. This young man then shares that story. It's a tale that is told. But in our, our vernacular, we could even talk about it being a book or a novel or a biography even. It's a tale that is told. It's a story that's told. Your life is like a story in a sense. I don't know about you, but I've read some of the, about some of the great men and women in, in the Old Testament. I've read about some of the great men and women of our, our contemporary day and even some hundred or two hundred years or longer before. And boy, as I read those things, I, my heart jumps within me and it leaps within me and I'm inspired and I'm encouraged. But within a matter of just a few pages, it's over. And may I say, their life is like that book. It was lived on earth. It may have been 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50, 60, 70, 80, or even 100. But may I say to you, it is like a tale that is told. What you're going to do for God and what you're going to do in this life, you better do it now. Because the reality is, is that once you leave and those that remember you are gone more than likely you'll be forgotten. And so will I. That's why it's important to invest in people. Because only investing in people will truly your legacy continue to last. Life's pictured as a vapor. It's pictured as a tale that's told. Not only that, but notice 1 Corinthians 9.24. Yeah, go, to, go there to 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Not only is our life pictured as a vapor and a tale, but it's also pictured as a race. It's pictured as a race. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. So run that ye may obtain. In Hebrews 12, 1, the author says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. It's talking about our lives again. Now we're going to run that race one way or the other. We're going to receive a prize or not. We're going to obtain or we're not. But either way, we're in a race. We're going to run that race. And the truth is you only have one race to run, one life to live. Now, there's a lot of strategies when it comes to running. And I wouldn't be the expert on running. I'm not a runner by nature. I am, I, I'm more like a hippopotamus when it comes to running. I am not light on my feet. 
So if you said, well, give me some strategies about track and field and how to run a race, I'd say, you're talking and barking up the wrong tree, friend. You need to go find somebody that knows a little bit about it. But I do know this, I've watched enough races and I've, I've experienced, I've seen enough races that I realize that some start slow, some start fast. But what I do understand is that in the end, everybody's trying to get across the line first. Everyone's trying to win the race. And in our case, we have a race in our life. Our life is the race. See, the truth is, is I'm not racing against you and you're not racing against me. I have a course to, do, to run, and my job is to run that race well and to win my race. Now, you may have started off slow in your Christian life. You may have started off slow in life. Maybe things haven't gone the direction you'd like them to go, and maybe you've even gotten a little off course. But my friend, let me tell you today, you only have one life to live, and you only have one race to run. You better get back on track, and you better start running that race optimally. You better start running it at the best you possibly can. You better get on track with God. You better figure out what he wants you to do and do it. And do it well. Because you're only going to get one shot at this. Each of us only has one life. And life's pictured as a vapor. It's pictured as a tail. It's pictured as a race. And may I say, before we know it, it's over. And finally, let me just point out one other one. Look at Psalm chapter 103, verse 15. You know, our life is pictured as grass or a fading flower. Sharon and I have an Olympic-sized swimming pool in our backyard. Actually, we don't, but it feels that way when I try to swim it. But a few years back, we got a swimming pool, and, 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 and I, I, I enjoy the swimming pool. This year, we're having nothing but trouble trying to get it up and running and everything else. But nonetheless, I don't want to bother you with my problems. <laughs> but there's these tarps, you know, that you put over. You've got solar panel, you have solar cover that you can put on the pool to keep it warm at night. You've got a, a in our case, we put this winter cover on that we, we put on for winter to keep debris out and... Boy, I'll tell you what, it's interesting about those things. If you lay them on your grass, I mean, it doesn't take long and it withers. Now, my wife is crazy about the grass at our house. I don't understand it because we've never had good grass as long as we've lived there. I know what some of you are thinking, and no, we don't smoke it either. You guys got, come on, settle down now. We don't, have, we don't have good grass at our house. We've got a lot of weeds, it seems like. Now it's getting better because she's been treat, trying to treat it a little bit here and there. Boy, she gets mad at me. If I leave something out on the grass and, and pick it up and it's dead, she's like, Mark, Mark, what are you doing? I'm thinking, whatever, it'll grow back. Right, guys? Sooner or later, it'll grow back. But then again, when we think about that particular piece of grass, guess what? It dies. It's not coming back, is it? Now, now here's the thing. In Psalm 103, verse 15, as for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. 
You say, well, wait a second, that's talking about how, how things flourish, how that, 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 that plant or that flower just grows. Yeah, that's how life is. You're growing and you're, you're going forward. Uh, grass or flowers, they begin to grow, but you ever notice how quickly they fade? Over in the book of 1 Peter one twenty four, the Bible says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. That's how he pictures your life, my life, as grass or flowers. Here it is, today, gone tomorrow. You know, the fact is, is that each of us has only one life. And according to the word of God, when he starts to describe our lives, guess what he says? It's very, very fleeting. It's only for a short time. It's like a vapor. It's like a tale that's told. It's like a race that's run. It's like grass or a flower that ultimately grows and then fades. It's here today, gone tomorrow. So we saw the picture. What's the principle then? Again, the principle is simply this. The time is short. And when life is over, it's over. You know, there's nothing in Scripture to support the idea of reincarnation. Reincarnation teaches that we can return to this life in order to earn a higher place in a caste system for the future. For instance, we're talking about position in the world. You keep coming back and you're trying to raise your level, trying to get to a higher status. Ultimately, the highest level of existence is what we're trying to reach, to become one with the universe in this issue of reincarnation. You know, that's not, there's nothing biblical about that. You don't get a second chance at this. You don't get another opportunity to live life. You can't mess things up and then say, I'll do a redo. I'll hit the reset button. I'll get a second chance at it. No, when life is over, it's over. It's that simple. So first of all, each of us has only one life. As it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. Not only that, but each of us will only face one judgment. We're talking about once life ends. Can you grasp the urgency of the situation? Can you wrap your mind around the finality of life itself? The fact is that life could end today for you. It could end today for me. And then we'd come face to face with judgment. If you've not trusted Christ alone to pay for your sin debt, it will be your sin that will be judged. Look if you would in Revelation chapter 20 verse 11, please. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. This passage is taking place in the future now. We live in what's called the church age, referred to as a dispensation of grace in many cases. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to return, and when He returns, He's not coming all the way to the earth. He's going to receive those who have put their personal faith and trust in Him unto Himself. We often refer to that as the rapture. So, in this dispensation of grace in which we live, this church age 
it's often referred to. At the end, Christ himself returns only so far, receives those that have put their personal faith and trust in him unto himself. Leaving those that have not done that behind. We meet the Lord in the air, and then we'll talk about what takes place at that point for you and I that have done that in just a moment. But what happens is now is that a tribulation period kicks off. It's Daniel's 70th week. It's seven years long, and God is going to judge the earth, and he's going to judge his people, Israel. Contrary to what you may hear or maybe you've been, uh, has been alluded to, God is not done with Israel yet. The church has never replaced Israel. God will deal with his people once the church is received up unto himself. And so for seven years now, God is dealing with those left behind. For seven years, he's dealing with his people. And at the end of seven years, the Lord Jesus Christ returns, according to Revelation chapter 19, with you and I. And a kingdom is established And Christ will rule and reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem. His people, Israel, will be elevated, a nation elevated again, as he always intended it to be. And you and I will help rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. And for 1,000 years, a millennium, we'll do so. Satan will have been put away, and for 1,000 years, Christ will rule. And then at the end of 1,000 years, Satan will be loosed again. And he will go about deceiving the nations like he's always done. And a battle will ensue. And of course, God always wins battles. And then it'll be time for a new heaven and a new earth. And also for the judgment that we're reading about. In the meantime, for those whose lives have ended here, For all of this time, till that final judgment we'll read about soon in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, they'll be in a place called hell according to Luke chapter 16. Let's see now what the judgment says and how it will go. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was no, found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Somebody's keeping record. Somebody's detailing your life. And the Bible goes on to say, verse 13, and by the way, you know all this great technology we have? Do you realize that it doesn't matter whether Christ, does, whether Christ remains in heaven for another 100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years or more? The truth is, every time you read this about the books, everybody will understand it. If he'd have said something about the computer will spit out your name and recorded on the a thumb drive will be. Who would have ever understood that before our generation? 
It's funny how God's words are put in place so that there's understanding not just in the generation in which it was written, but forever. That's why when we start messing around with God's word and changing it, you can mess up the future for the next generation. They may not fully comprehend or understand it. Moving, let's go back here now, and it says here in the passage in chapter 20, verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell, there it is now, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The picture is, is that although you may have died here, You've been at a place called hell, according to Luke 16, all of those years. And that place called hell will be cast into what? The lake of fire. No relief. Someone says, well, you'll be relieved as you stand before God at the judgment. Boy, wouldn't that be a horrible tease to be taken out if indeed you were or will be. I'm not convinced of that 100% yet. I guess one day we'll really know for sure, but I'm not convinced based on the way it reads that those in hell will have the opportunity to then come out of hell, stand before God. I'm still not convinced of that 100% because death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And I'm not sure if that includes all the people that were in it as well. It doesn't really matter though, does it? Either way, it ends pretty bad, doesn't it? Either way, it's horrible. Either way, it's something we all want to avoid. But notice it says here, that there's a judgment. So you have this life you're living. And you have one life to live. And when it is over, it's over. No redos, no do-overs, no second chances. And then there is a judgment to be faced. A judgment that ultimately ends in a place called the lake of fire. You know, we don't take life very serious most of the time, do we? And many times we feel we have so much more time left. But remember, once it ends, it's over. So we see this judgment. If you've not trusted Christ alone to pay for your sin debt, then it will be that judgment we just read about that you'll, stand be, uh, that you'll, you'll face. It is a point unto men once to die, but after this, and after that, the judgment. After this, the judgment. That's the judgment you'll stand before God. That's the one you're going to have to face God. That's the one where you're going to have to deal with the consequences of your sin. That's where and when you'll be judged. And as I said, I, I don't know exactly how it works. But what I know is what I read and your works will be put before God and the books will be opened and you'll be condemned forever in a place called the lake of fire. And by the way, we're already condemned to death because of the sin of Adam. But if you're trusting Christ alone to pay for your sin debt, then it'll be your service that will be judged. Look in 1 Corinthians 3.11. So if you've never trusted Christ to pay for your sin debt, and only Him to do so, then you're going to stand before God and be at, at this judge. This is where you will have to be judged. Revelation chapter 20. Now, if you're a child of God, you've put your faith in Christ, you've trusted Him with your sin debt, then 1 Corinthians 3.11-15 through 15, describes the judgment for you. See, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. For other foundation can no man lay, verse 11, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, 
Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So the soul is is saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the soul is secured and saved by the work of Jesus on Calvary. But the work will be judged. That which we have done since being saved, those things which we were to do on behalf of Christ, the service that we gave unto him. Listen, life is short. And the truth is, is that each of us has only one life to live. And according to the picture that God gives us about life, it is very short and very fleeting. And after this, a judgment. You will stand before God at the judgment. If you are lost without Christ, if you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus, if you've never invited Christ to forgive you, save you, come into your life, if you've never said your sacrifice on Calvary is the only payment that I understand God the Father will accept, I need the precious blood of Christ applied to my life, I can trust only you to get me to heaven. If you haven't come to the realization that Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life, then my friend today, you will stand before this, you will have to deal with this judgment over in Revelation chapter 20 and you'll be cast forever into a place called the lake of fire. And you will have no second chance, no do-over, no restart button. You can't say, well, I didn't intend to be here. If I'd only known what I know now, I would change how I would act. It would change how I'd live. I'd receive Christ. I'd give myself to the Lord Jesus. Too late. And by the way, as a believer, you'll stand before the Lord and give an account for your service. And the Bible talks about in 1 John that we'll be ashamed if we're not faithful to the very end. And may I say, you don't want to stand before the Lord ashamed. You don't want to go before him with nothing to hand over, nothing to lay at his feet. You don't want to have lived your life for yourself, for you. Not in that day you won't. And you can't say, well, you know, if I'd only realized, if I'd only knew, if I would have really just had a better handle on it, Lord, trust me, if you'll give me another chance, I'll do it differently this time. No do-overs. No do-overs. No second chances. See, life's not a game. Life's not a game. You only have one shot at it. One chance. And that's all I've got. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Hey, listen, if life were a game, you could set the reset. You could get a do-over. You could get a second chance. But it's not. There's no second chances with our life. Once it's lived and over, it's over. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. See, the clock's ticking today. And the days are being crossed off the celestial calendar. Sooner or later, your appointment will be kept. And so will mine. You know, when I have an appointment at the doctor's office, they send me reminders. They email me. They call me. They remind me of the coming appointment. They don't want me to miss it. God sent you and I a long email from heaven to remind us of an appointment. And you know, he says, 
I want you to remember you've got an appointment. I want you to remember that life is short. And I want you to remember that it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. You and I will have no excuse for not being ready for that appointment or that judgment. And it will end with either being saved or lost forever. And it'll end with you either living a life that pleased God or didn't please God. As a dad or mom, it'll end with you being the kind of mother or father you should have been. Or it'll end you not being the mother or father you should have been. In the end, you got one shot. Get it right. And if for some reason you've messed something up to this point in that thing called life, then fix it before your appointment. Fix it. Face it. Deal with it. Get it right. Because you only have really one shot. That's it. And once the appointment strikes, it's over. Once this life ends, it's done. No reset. No do-over. No second chance. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, that truth applies to each and every one of us today. Are you ready? Have you trusted and put your personal faith and trust in Jesus who died for you on Calvary? Or are you living your life selfishly for you? You better trust Christ. You need to. Please do so. He loves you. That's why he came and died and bled for you. And if you're a child of God, are you living your life selfishly now? You only got one life to live. Come on now. Don't get caught up in life. He sent you the reminder, remember. Don't dismiss it. Don't neglect it. Make sure you're well aware of it and you live your life accordingly. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us today.